Thank you for downloading this message from Pastor Ryan today. We believe you will be encouraged and challenged by this message. One, Philippians chapter 1. I, I just, just a couple little thoughts that, that came into my spirit this week. And, and, and hopefully it will help you. And I've got to believe it's an on-time word for you. Because I feel as if uh, many times we deal with the pressure of social perfection. I know there's much said about teenagers and the social pressure to be perfect, especially on young ladies, because we have such a perversion of what perfectionism is. Now, I don't know if you feel the pressure as an adult, but I think that all of us have a, a, a feeling at times as if we're struggling with, am I good enough? Now, I'm not talking about whether or not you've been born again. Because you can be born again and still struggle with your own self-worth. You can be born again and still struggle with do you belong. You can be born again, know your name's written in the Lamb's book of life, and that you have an, an, an eternal residence in heaven and still feel like you're struggling with your purpose because sometimes you don't feel good enough for the purpose. Some days you may not feel like you're competent enough to do what God asks you to do. Am I talking to anybody? That, that you may not even feel competent enough to do what God's asked you to do. How many understand for you to be able to come and stand in the presence of God, grab a Bible and a microphone, you better be able to get yourself free from the necessity of being perfect. Huh. You're like, Pastor, I don't understand what you're talking about. I'm talking about the pressure of perfectionism. The need to make sure that you perform everything without a flaw. Now, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but everybody in this room is fractured and flawed. Every one of us in this room have some disabilities. Y'all don't want to talk. See, I know because we've been taught that we've got to cover up all the disabilities, all the flaws. And we have to have the persona of perfection in order for somebody to be drawn to our Jesus. I got news for you. He's still working on me. <laughs> that ought to help a relationship right there. You ought to touch your spouse and go, he's still working on me. <laughs> he's still working on me. That's what I need to tell Marsha. He's still working on me. Philippians chapter 1, one verse of Scripture, maybe two. Paul is talking to the believers. and He said in verse 3, I thank God, or I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making request for you with all joy. Paul said, I'm praying for you. He said, and I'm praying for your fellowship in the gospel. From the first day unto now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, that he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Paul said, I'm praying for you. Why was he praying for them? He's praying that they would stay in the fellowship of the gospel, that they would stay connected to God, that they would understand that they're not complete that he was still working on them and developing them, and, and that they were not perfect. They're not good enough, but he's working on them. Anybody ever rode the roller coaster of emotions as it related to perfectionism? You ever looked in the mirror and didn't feel like you were good enough? You ever looked, okay, y'all don't want to talk about it. You ever looked in the mirror and said, I wish? 
I wish I had. I wish I was more of that. I wish I had a little less of this. Do you understand that God is the God of the imperfect champion? That every one, oh glory, every one of us in this room are imperfect, but He's made us champions by the power of the cross. Do you understand that everything God ever did, He did with imperfect people? David wasn't perfect, and He made him a king. Moses was a murderer, and He made him a deliverer. Gideon was the weakest of all of his tribe, and God used him as a mighty man in a time. Peter denied the Lord, but yet he was the great preacher of Pentecost. Paul dealt with timidity and fear at times, but yet he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Why? Because God's the God of the imperfect champions, and this is a room full of imperfect champions. Hallelujah. I I get so discouraged with me. Because I want and expect so much more of me. Uh, I want to live air free. E R R, not A I R. Air free. See, we have a standard of excellence and quality and many times it makes us feel as if that we have to perform certain things, certain ways in order to receive the applause of others. And I think I've come to the realization, much like the Apostle Paul, listen, I've got to make a decree over my life. I am created in the likeness of my Heavenly Father. And I am a workmanship that He's still working on. And though you want to judge me, you can't. Because, see, I'm still on the potter's wheel. And He still has His sovereign hands on the clay. And though my life seems to be spinning out of control, He's got a plan. Even though I'm flawed. Even though I'm imperfect. Even though I struggle with my self-image. Say Christians shouldn't have to have that kind of an identity crisis. We shouldn't have to wrestle with self-worth. We shouldn't have to wonder about whether we really belong. But isn't it a real warfare? Isn't it a real battle that when you feel as if you can be as close to heaven on Sunday, you can feel the breath of the Holy Spirit on your neck. And then by Monday you're looking at yourself sabotaging everything that God ever said you were. Telling yourself you're ugly. You're unacceptable. You're not good enough. You're too flawed. You can't ever get anywhere. And you begin to assassinate the very thing God said you were. I think it's interesting that sometimes I feel like I should be penalized for my imperfections. Because if I was God, I would certainly punish me. How many of you have already punished you? Y'all don't want to talk to me. I told you 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes. You're like, oh, let's stop right there. Because, see, I think so many times that that we punish ourselves for our imperfections. Instead of dusting the brush off of our kneecaps and standing upright, we crawl. And our enemy sets on our back with a weight that says, I told you you wasn't good enough. I told you that God made a mistake in calling you. I told you you didn't have any value. But I got news for you. I'm an imperfect champion. 
I'm not a champion by the merit or the deed or the eloquence of my ability. I'm a champion because I come to the place of the cross. And the cross has redeemed and made me whole. And all that I used to be, I am no more. And He washed away all my sin and gave me a new hope. And I know I'm not perfect, but I'm born again. Is there anybody in this room born again? Come on, is there somebody testify. Is there anybody in this room born again? I would have thought for sure there would have been a little bit of roar than that, but that's okay. I mean, if you're born again, I mean born again, that wasn't contingent on my weight, wasn't contingent on my external beauty, wasn't contingent on the eloquence of my tongue. I was born again because there was a sacrifice. By my heavenly Father, who gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you understand? He didn't die to make you valuable. He died because you were valuable, and that He saw you as an imperfect champion, and that when you became born again, it wasn't about your ability. It wasn't about your talent. It was about He lives in me. See, we don't understand the concept of perfection. Because we look at it and we go, well, I've got a lot of faults. I've got a lot of defects. I've got a lot of deficiencies. Okay, y'all don't want to talk about those. And it never scared the Lord away from coming after me. <laughs> I had defects and flaws. And he still chased me down. Come on, think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. I had flaws and deficiencies, and I had self-esteem issues. I had all this stuff that, that would surely turn the Lord away. But He picked me up out of my dark place. He found me in my miry place. He brought me out of a low place. Why? Because He wasn't scared with my problems or my flaws or my fractures. He saw potential beyond my failures. One of the great things about it is the Lord wants me to become complete. And biblical perfection is not perfection socially. Biblical perfection, I found it interesting because the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, you don't have to go there, I'll just quote it, but in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus was talking uh, about the Beatitudes or the being attitudes and all these characteristics, one of the things He said is be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that's in Matthew 5. And I thought, wow, Yes, right at the end there, like 47, 48, he says, be perfect. As my heavenly Father is is perfect. And I thought, what what, what kind of pressure is that? Huh? Be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect? Uh, Failure. Can't pass that exam. I mean, that's a question right there that I, it's impossible. But see, we don't understand what the word perfection means. Because the word perfection in many root cases simply means maturity. Maturity. Growth. Development. I thought, man. And then the Lord opened it up. He said, I want you to be complete. Now, finding completeness in a world that puts social pressure on you is very difficult, isn't it? And what Jesus said is be perfect, be mature, be in full growth as my Father is, but it was relating to me loving myself and loving others. So perfection for me isn't based on my social standing. 
or my geographical standing. It's in my capacity to have the characteristics of my heavenly Father who loves everybody and gives them the opportunity to live past their flaws. How can I be perfect? Have the same mindset my Father has. And my Father looks past imperfections and sees potential. Because you're looking at the least least likely to succeed in pastoral ministry right here. Isn't that comforting? What were y'all thinking coming here and sitting up underneath this? Y'all like, man. I mean, what does that say about you? Hey, be careful. You see what I'm saying? I am the least likely to succeed. Because I'm reminded of Zechariah 4.6. Not by might, not by the power, not by the eloquence, not by my ability, not by my talent, but by His Spirit. I gave up trying to be perfect. I'm rather striving to grow and mature to be like my Heavenly Father. How many know the scales in your bathroom? Are like a devil. Huh? Y'all walk in there feeling good. Watch what you ate. Put one foot on there. And you say, in Jesus' name. And then it's like this, and it? It's like, okay, Lord. And you slowly look down. And as soon as you see that number, your entire emotional makeup shifts like a yo-yo up and down based on a number on a little machine. And you walk out either feeling good about yourself or feeling like you failed. Come on, be honest with me. The number's not what matters. What matters is, are you whole? Are you growing? And are you striving to be like your heavenly Father who knows how to love, how to control his... No, you don't want to talk about that. Because, see, for me to really move past all that, I've got to get past my own fears and my, my own loose tongue. My own prejudice. See, I can't do any of that until I excuse myself from my own limitations. Many of you have never, ever walked in the fullness of the anointing God has for you because you've limited yourself from receiving. It's not that there's a shortage of heaven. It's not that there's a shortage of anointing. It's that you have limited yourself because your mind has become so warped and so perverted by social perfectionism that you can't let your gift flow. You can't let your heart out. You can't be vulnerable because you're afraid. What will someone think? What about their opinion? I am the poster child of it. It doesn't matter. 
I want to thunder in this room. He's not looking for your eloquence. He's not looking for your skill. He's not looking for your perfection. He's looking for the vulnerability of you that says, I want to grow to be more like my Father. I want to love the unlovable. I want to help those that need help. And I want to control what I can control and help what I can help. Does that make sense to anybody in this room? I am the first to admit, and if you want to get free from social perfectionism, admit you don't know everything. Hallelujah. That's free. I don't know everything. I don't have all the capabilities. One of the greatest assessments you can ever give is, I can't do everything. Do you want me to play keyboard? Good thing they had me muted. You just going to leave me muted or what? I guess they love y'all. Nah, too late. I ain't got time to figure it out. I just showed you you have to be wise enough to understand that what you don't have capabilities of, you shouldn't stress about being perfect at. Well, that's a word for somebody. When you do an assessment of what you are capable of doing, then you're responsible. But there's some things, listen, there's some people in this room that should not use power tools. Y'all hear me? Uh, there's just some people in here. You do not have the aptitude or the capabilities of using power tools. Hire somebody that can. You shouldn't feel... Come on, I'm teaching you something. You shouldn't feel the pressure to be perfect is something you don't have capability of. Hallelujah! Somebody ought to just get set free. Your wife been telling you all this time, do not touch the power tools because your wife's got 911 in speed dial obviously you do not need a chainsaw dangerous when you think you can do everything and you strive to do everything do an assessment say I, i'm not capable of that i am not capable of playing a keyboard thank god the gift skipped a generation and went to him thank god you want me to play drums that's worse than me playing keyboard Thank God it skipped a generation and he got it. But I shouldn't feel imperfect just because I can't. One of the things that, that ministry put on my wife early on was they said a pastor's wife ought to be able to play the keyboard and she ought to be able to sing and she ought to be able to do all these other kind of things. And, and she was like, I can't. But it put undue social pressure on her to do certain things that she wasn't called to do. In fact, I finally got her to the place now. Take care of your man. 
Now, she does a lot more than that. But she's got the Sarita Jakes ministry now. She's like, I'm going to make sure my man is ready. I'm going to make sure my man is equipped. I'm going to make sure he ain't wanting for nothing. I'm going to make sure he can go to the pulpit and preach the gospel without any other obstruction. And thank God for a woman who will make that happen. And i got news for you. It's an important thing. And it's not what the world says she should do. It's what God said she should do. And she does a lot more than that. Please, you don't understand all she does. What does the enemy do? I'm going to tie this together. Is this okay? (laughs) What the enemy does is he takes our imperfections and he uses them as if they are punishments to our advancement. Because, see, you've got to understand that just because you recognize you have flaws or or you have some, some areas of imperfection, you can't stop serving. You can't stop serving God because you have the epiphany, I'm flawed. Look, we've known you're flawed for a long time. It's not a new revelation to all of us. Right? Is there a spouse in here that does not know that your spouse has flaws? Oh, wow. Not not anybody said a word. I know. Y'all got to go home with them. I know. Let's just talk like they're not listening. They got some flaws. Um, They're not perfect. But you love them anyhow. Why? Because you're sowing a seed that you can be loved back because you know you got some flaws too. Can I, can I be a little insensitive? I can't, I can't believe I'm going to share this because it's really, really vulnerable, but I'm just going to do it anyway because I think you'll understand. Early on in ministry, I thought, incorrectly, of course, I thought that I didn't have a lot of, of flaws. Anybody ever believe that lie for yourself, that... You were pretty well close to being perfect, and if everybody acted like you, the world would be a better place. There for a while, I thought I had, the, you know, I had bottled it, and I had all this, this together, and it creates a haughtiness, an arrogance, okay? And, and, and so I was with a gentleman that was an associate pastor of a very, very large church. And, and I had asked him, how many know if you ask somebody to do an assessment of you, You better put your big boy pants on if you really ask them to do an assessment because if they do an assessment of who you are, they're not coming with all your positive qualities. They're doing an assessment of what's your flaws, the things in your blind spot. And so I had asked him to to do an assessment. He came to our church for a couple services, and he did an assessment over the entire ministry, but really he, he focused more on me. And we were sitting at a coffee house, and this is, this, please, please just understand the spirit in which it was taken. We're sitting at a coffee house, and he says, well, you know, here's what I'm thinking. And he begins to lay out some things about the corporate body and the church and the ministry and how we functioned, and that was important. And he said, let me just talk about you. How many know that gets real uncomfortable when we have to talk about us? Even though we claim, wait a minute, but the Lord's working on me. 
I'm born again. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Hallelujah. We don't want to work on those areas that are somewhat sensitive to us. And so he starts doing this assessment. He's laying out things for me. And, and, and how many know when people begin to lay out things that are somewhat are uncomfortable, you have a tendency to develop an attitude? Okay, I have a tendency to develop a, an attitude. Apparently you don't, but none of us like criticism, even if it's constructive. For some reason, constructive criticism hurts just as bad as just good old criticism. It stings the same. And he's walking me through this process of what he saw, and I didn't like what he saw. And this is what he said to me, and, and we're all adults, so let me just say it like he said it. He looks across the table at me, across his coffee cup to me, eyeball to eyeball. He said, look, I know when you go to the pulpit you have this persona and this personality. He said, but every time you look out there and you see your wife and she's sitting there looking at you, remember she washes your undergarments. Okay, apparently y'all didn't get it. Or you're just trying to be real serious and not laugh at me. You have any clue what I'm talking about? She sees everything. But we cover up. And religion has given us a garment of falsehood. And we cover up all of our weaknesses and all of our failures, all of our scars, and all of our fractures, and we parade ourselves in the front of the congregation. All the while, somebody really knows the dirt on us. And that's why the world can't relate to us. That's why we have a whole generation that looks at the church and cannot relate to it because they see the perfected and the edited. They don't see the real. They don't see what's really behind it. They just see what we edit for them. And those that are compulsive perfectionists run from church. Because they hear the gospel preach and it seems as if the laws are too stringent. The demands and the commitments are too high. And they say and reason within themselves, if these are the laws of God and the mandates of God, I know my perfective nature and I'll never measure up. And if I can't measure up, I'm not starting. And there's some in this house that you struggle every single week because you've kept the laws as binding. And that if you've dropped down the law and you fell short of anything, you skip church for three weeks until you've proved that you can walk right for those three weeks and then you'll come back to prison. But my Bible teaches me that His grace and mercy are new every day. Day. Why? Because I'm going to wear them out every day. Because I'm flawed. I'm a part of the flawed family. But He made me a champion by the power of the cross, not the effort of my words. Somebody ought to give Him praise if you believe that in this house. Your true identity is in Jesus Christ, not you. Your true self-worth is in Jesus Christ, not you. 
Your real value to the body of Christ is not in your ability to pretend you're, you've got it all together and you're perfect. Truth of the matter is, we need a little more bleeding. Somebody said to me one time, said, Pastor, you're so vulnerable. I, I just, it just makes me uncomfortable you're that truthful. I could be a whole lot more truthful. Truth is, my, my old life's dead. All I got is the life He's given me. And every morning I wake up, I thank God that He has put His treasure in an earthen vessel. He 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 has put His Spirit within an earthen vessel. A vessel that was flawed. A vessel that has holes in it. A vessel that gets hijacked easily. A vessel that has emotional disorders. But nonetheless, He abides. He abides. Thank God Almighty, He still abides. He doesn't stay because you're perfect. He doesn't stay because you're perfect. He stays because He has a covenant with your confession. What confession? Nevertheless, not I live, but Christ liveth in me. He didn't say, Jesus didn't say that I've come to give you life and more abundant life just because you do the right things. Because you're perfect. Because you maintain it. Listen, I'm not talking about loose living. I know my 20 minutes are exhausted. I can't live without heirs. Nor am I going to get a destination disease and afraid to move just because right now I'm perfect and I know if I take another step I'm messed up. I'm not going to have that. I'm going to keep trying. Keep striving. I'm going to keep working at it. I'm going to keep trying to grow at it. And I'm going to be a, a, a poster child of some flaws. I understand that. I repented before you this morning. You said, do you have a problem with it? Nope, it was the right thing to do. Why? Because I owed you an apology. Paul said he's begun. Begun a good work in us. A good work in us until he completes it, until the day of Jesus Christ. That means it doesn't end. It's not ceasing. He's going to continue to work a good work. Stand with me in this room. We hope you enjoyed the message today. Please visit www.fivestoneschurch.info for more messages and media resources.